Good morning, man. It's it's a gift. It's a gift to be with you. Um, I've had the opportunity to be with our chapters, uh, not just here in the Northeast, but uh, recently I've spoken at NCS Charlotte, NCS Winston Salem, and I can. I just want to affirm the work that you're doing here because uh, men all over the country need places like this where we can be transparent with each other, where we can share with each other, and I'm gonna get into that a little bit later. Um, I wanna start just by saying that Jesus is risen. Um, it's been about a month since we had Easter Sunday on April 9th, and um, I just wanna make sure that we remember that Easter is something we get to celebrate every day. Um, we celebrate on Sundays, on the Sabbath, but Easter is an eternal reality that we have to always take into our day. Um, whatever we're doing, whether we're in a place of joy, whether we're in a good place, whether we're in a, in a place of sadness or we're in some challenging time, Easter has to permeate through everything we do. And I just want to start um, by sharing that with you. Uh, just a few notes on where we're going to go. We're just going to do some personal testimony, just a little bit of where I'm coming from. Um, there's a lot more behind of what Mark said just a minute ago, so I want to dive into some of that. I want to talk a lot about reconciliation. Um, just for the last couple of years, the idea of reconciliation has been really on my heart, and I'd love to share that with you. And then uh, close with some things about leadership, where we are as men, what we need to be doing, I believe, as, as men in our society. And then just leave you with some takeaways, some questions, and then I know we're going to have have some conversation as well. So, um, I grew up in uh, outside of Providence, Rhode Island. Um, Rhode Island is the smallest state in the union. Uh, it's a beautiful place if you haven't been there yet. Um, grew up in a very homogenous Italian Catholic town called Johnston. Uh, that's where I grew up. That's where my parents still live. Thankfully, uh, they still live in the house that I was born in, that I grew up in, and. Um, I, I hope that they have it for the rest of my life. I uh, just have a lot of fond memories of that home and thankfully still go back there every couple of months. Um, and on the surface, I had a very normal life. I have a twin brother. I have an older brother, uh, two great parents. Um, but I, beneath all that as a child, there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, my older brother, who uh, back in July of 2021 passed away, um, for 22 years of his life, fought a debilitating genetic disease called Frederick's ataxia. And I'm not going to get into the specifics of that, except to say all of the care, all of the focus of my parents was on him. And it left my twin brother and myself, not to fend for ourselves, but there was a distance. There was a real significant distance between Matthew's care and then the care and concern of my brother Andrew and myself. And I didn't really know how to capture that for a long time until the seminary, which I'm going to get into in a minute. But for a long time, my childhood, my time in college, excuse me, my time in high school, I was very isolated. Uh, definitely was not the best dressed in high school. Um, definitely did not have the extroverted qualities that I think I have now, um, but had a very shy, introverted, and I would almost say, um, socially awkward life uh, as a young person. And thankfully later on that I'd grow out of that, but really my life changed uh, when I was a junior in high school. And that's when I felt and had my first encounter with the Lord. 
Um, I've been a Catholic my whole life. I, I love the Catholic Church. I think there's a lot of things that we need to learn from each other in the different parts of the church. Um, but we would go to Mass every, every Sunday, but it was like it was a hollow experience. Um, never really knew what it was like to have a personal relationship with Jesus. The priests never really talked about that, unfortunately. Um, never really had a, accountability for where I was in my moral life. Um, when I was a young person, had a lot of struggles with pornography. And that came from a lot of that isolation that I just talked about. But essentially, when I was in high school, I finally realized as a junior that at some point, high school was going to end. Um, and I can remember very distinctly, very vividly, when I was a junior in high school, I was outside. Um, the chores at my house ranged from cutting the lawn to vacuuming inside. And then the special thing that I, I had to do, my brothers and I had to do, we had to split stack and bring in wood. My father was very proud that we did not have a regular boiler. We had a wood-burning stove. And, um, and it was great. I mean, if some of you have a wood-burning stove, there's really nothing like the heat you get from being around a wood-burning stove in your home. And it was a gift. It was a gift to have that. But it was very labor-intensive. Um, and I remember one Saturday afternoon, I was outside by myself. I was getting the wood split. I was putting it on the stacks and then bringing some in. And I could just hear in that moment of just having so many years of sadness and isolation, just I could hear the Lord finally for the first time. And I could hear him say, Nick, you're not going to do anything in your life without me. If you want to do anything that's of meaning, of value, of substance, you're going to have to come and follow me again um, and follow me for the first time, really. And the way that I needed to follow him was I needed to realize that the isolation and the struggle I was having with pornography was ruining my life with, each, with my parents, my friends. And a couple of weeks later, for the first time, and again, as a Catholic, the way we kind of reconcile, and I want to get into reconciliation in a minute, the way we reconcile is by going back to confession. And I just remember that Saturday afternoon after going to confession again for the first time in a while, I just left that confessional box just crying, just crying my eyes out in joy because I had finally realized that this life of being alone had to change and that I had to invite Jesus into my life in a new way. And that was the moment when it started. And that began a long journey. Um, I love the fact that I spent six years in the seminary. Um, after high school, I went into the seminary in the Diocese of Providence. Uh, for six years, I pursued a philosophy degree. I studied theology. I first, for the first time, really got into the Word, got into Scripture, and had a. it was a gift. It really was a gift of learning what it meant to walk with Jesus. But then in 2009, I felt a disquiet. I just felt this lack of peace in that pursuit of being a, a priest. And I remember my my mom, you know, it's Mother's Day um, in a few days tomorrow on Sunday. And I remember it was Christmas Eve of 20, 2009. And we had a big Christmas. If, you, if you're an Italian person, uh, Christmas Eve is a big deal. A lot of fish, just a lot of big celebration. And I remember at one point after the meal, my mom took me aside and just knew there was something wrong. And 
and just very candidly asked if I was thinking of leaving the seminary. Um, hadn't shared that with anybody. And I was, I was. Um, and I was getting ready to make that decision. And thankfully, her seeing that in me was just gave me the confidence um, to do it. Because uh, being a priest in, in an Italian household is a big deal. It's a great honor for a son to want to be a priest in an Italian setting. And I wouldn't say that my parents pressured me to keep going, but they certainly encouraged it. And I finally realized that my parents truly just wanted me to be happy. They truly just wanted me to find joy in my life. Uh, and that gave me the confidence to leave. Um, that gave me the confidence to move on. Um, I moved to New York in August of 2010. Um, simultaneously was doing a degree at Fordham, was working at Pfizer, uh, finished that degree in 2012, uh, finished my time at Pfizer in 2014, early of 2014. And then I was ready for another big radical change and I decided to run for office. Um, I'm a conservative guy and in New York City, that's not really welcome. Um, but I felt like the person who was representing me uh, just wasn't present to her district. And I had the opportunity through some relationships. I was invited to consider to run for Congress in 2014 and decided to really just almost take a sabbatical. And for 11 months, from February of 2014 to the end of the year, I uh, was a congressional candidate in my district um, and had an amazing experience of getting to know uh, people in New York City. Um, at that point, I was only in New York for a couple of years. And I loved the opportunity to stand outside of a subway and ask people how they're doing. Ask people what is important to you. What are some things in your life and your community that you think need to change? Um, I loved going to nursing homes. Um, one of the things I did as a seminarian was to visit the sick and visit the homebound. And I loved dialing back into that part of my, uh, my interests and my personality. Um, didn't win. Uh, had a, I, what I would call a successful campaign in that we challenged the other side. We really pushed the envelope on some issues that I felt were important. Um, built some great connections with friends that I'm close to to this day. Just a couple of days ago, I was in the Amtrak Lounge in New York. My wife is in Philadelphia for a conference and just ran into a buddy that I hadn't seen for a couple of years, but who was a supporter during my campaign. So it was great to have those friendships and those connections. Um, and, uh, but the campaign ended in uh, early November of 2014. And then in September of 2015, had another change and became a, a high school educator. I was teaching Catholic theology, Christian theology at two Catholic schools from 2015 to early 2020 and loved getting to know our young people. Um, one of the things that I want to challenge you men about, there's people in your life that you have to be mentoring right now. Um, you might be an introvert. You might think to yourself, I'm not ready to mentor people. I'm, I'm not equipped for that. But everybody in this room has a sphere of influence. Everyone in this room have people that need to be you need to be accountable to and that should be accountable to you and i just feel like it's very important and during that time as an educator really took on that responsibility of not just bringing certain academic lessons to my students but trying to bring life lessons to my students as well even even how i dressed i felt was really important to educate these inner city kids about what it meant to make yourself accountable and presentable in your world um but as you might know, uh, teachers 
have a lot of responsibility in the classroom. Um, I love the curriculum. I love the content. But I was realized that I was being really, um, I was depleting myself in terms of the, the life coaching that I had to do for the young people. Um, mentoring young people is hard. It's a one-way relationship. And I realized in 2019 that I was getting burned out, that I was coming home exhausted. I wasn't joyful. Again, had that disquiet that I felt when I was in the seminary. And uh, had the chance to get to know some friends. Um, get to, I get to know Bobby Thompson. And Bobby and I would have lunch every once in a while. And he said, you know, Nick, I don't know if you've ever thought about being a fundraiser, but you love people. You've done it before when you were a congressional candidate. And I think you'd be a great fundraising professional. Um, at that point, City Relief was looking for some new people to come in. And I joined in February of 2020. And, and frankly, I've had an incredible experience with the organization. You get to meet great people like Andy Oran and Mark Reitzman, John Corquin and some others, and Larry Hartman. And I think City Relief is doing incredible work and especially around this idea of reconciliation. That's where I wanna to go to now. Um, one of the things that we have to do as men is recognize that our baptism gives us the authority to be ambassadors of reconciliation. The Lord, everything he did was about reconciliation. He kept saying, I've come to reconcile myself to the Father. I've come to reconcile you to the Father. In our baptism, we have to be ministers of reconciliation. That's part of what we need to do. And what I want to put on your heart today is that reconciliation unleashes this incredible, eternal, creative power. When we reconcile people, when we reconcile our past, we unleash a creative power that is unique in this world. And I know that sometimes we look at reconciliation from a scriptural perspective, Sometimes we think about it from just relational perspective, but just think about it from a creative perspective. When we bring people together, when we heal wounds, when we unite people, we are allowing creativity to be unleashed. We are renewing something that was broken. And I really want to encourage us to think about relationships and even memories that have to be reconciled. Um, all of us have been wounded in some way. And those wounds are impacting us now for the better, but to be honest, for the bad. Some, some wounds are really corrupting our relationships now. And reconciling those things, reconciling those parts of our life that are broken is really important. And it's something that we have to take ownership of, we have to take responsibility for, and we have to take a sense of responsibility for those fears of influence that we have. What are, we gonna, what are we doing today that's going to help bring reconciliation? What are we doing today that's going to help bring people together? Whether it's at work, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our church, that has to be always on our mind. That has to be a part of our everyday lifestyle and ethos. What are we doing to reconcile one another to, to, to God, to the Lord, but also to others? Um, I want to share a couple of examples of how this has gone well in my life and how it hasn't gone well yet, or how it's still in process. So one of the things that um, I learned about my dad late in life is that he loves three things. He loves golf, he loves watching sports, 
and he loves smoking cigars. And I realized that in college, I did not have a loving, connected relationship with my dad. And as I was leaving the seminary, I was having a very close connection to my mom. I shared earlier that she kind of knew that something was going on. She knew that I, was, that I wasn't interested in the priesthood anymore, but I never really heard from my dad. He never really showed that much interest. Um, he loved the fact that I was going to be a priest, but didn't really dial into that that much. And I remember this vivid moment. It was Easter Sunday of 2010. So that would have been my last Easter in the seminary. And I remember my mom, uh, I don't know if she cajoled us, but she basically said, you're not coming back to dinner until you guys have a long talk together. Um, and so, so basically after the one of the second courses in this meal, my dad wanted to walk the dog <clears throat> and I joined him. And for the first time, I really got to know him. Um, in that walk, that half hour conversation, I learned that he was engaged before he met my mom to another woman, that he was heartbroken when that woman left him and decided that they, they shouldn't get married. Um, for the first time, I learned that before I was born, um, my family was on welfare. He had been, my dad had been injured on the job and they needed help from the government. Never knew that before. And that conversation, that first moment of getting to know him just opened up a 13 year relationship that's been transforming. Um, and so one of the things that I did just very practically Every time I'd go home after that time, I would do one of three things. I'd have a cigar with my dad, or we'd go and play golf, or we made sure we did some chore together at the house. Um, and those that intentional connection really revitalized the relationship and reconciled us back together. Um, another example that where it's gone really well, I've got a twin brother, as I shared. He just had his first child two years ago. And my twin brother never really had a chance to get the spiritual formation that I had when I was in, in the seminary. Um, he never really had that time. When I was in the seminary studying to be a priest, he was just a college guy, college bachelor on a college campus. And, and you can kind of imagine what that lifestyle was like. And so never really got to have those deep conversations with him. But since he's had his child, I've become the godfather to his baby girl. Um, once a month I go down and I stay with he and his wife. And for the first time, um, a couple weeks ago, I, I realized that, and someone gave me this advice. He said, if you want to get to know somebody, ask them for advice. Just say, you know, can I get 30 minutes with you? I have a problem. I would love to get your guidance, your guidance on this. And so, um, I had an opportunity to talk to my brother about my marriage. And I just asked him for some advice about how things are going with Dana and how he's relating to Brooke. And he just gave me an hour's worth of feedback. And then the next day, he said, we'd love to have you and Dana come down and stay with us for a week. And that was the first time he ever invited us. Like the other times I was the one prompting to come down and stay with them. That was the first time he invited us to come down. Um, and that was a gift. Some examples of where the reconciliation thing hasn't worked out as much yet, but has to, but it's, it's on the way. Um, 
last year, uh, my wife, as I, as Mark said, uh, my wife and I got married back in uh, 2017. Last year, we had our fifth wedding anniversary in September. We went up to, um, <clears throat> we went up to Beacon, New York, which is on the Hudson, beautiful town. And my wife and I had, we had a lot of differences during COVID. And we were at home more, right? As I'm sure some of you were with your spouses. And that presence together just brought up a lot of things that we'd never really addressed or talked about before. And I'm, I don't want to get too much into the details, but basically we didn't agree on how we should, um, how we should incorporate the vaccine into our life. Um, and I remember it was a, a, back in September of last year, and my wife said to me, she dropped the D word on me. And for you young people back there, that's not four letters, it's seven, just, just so you know. And she said, what, what a tragedy it would be is if, what a tragedy it would be if we got divorced because of how you feel about the vaccine. And it just floored me. It just stopped me in my tracks. And thankfully, I can share that that particular issue, I think, has been resolved. Um, she gave me the chance to share. I listened to her. Um, she listened to me. But there are some other places where we haven't reconciled yet. Um, some differences in how we think about our culture and our society that we need to work on. And we need to be more frank with each other on. So that's something that I'm, I'm working on with her. And that's a, that's a path. That's something that we're on right now and working through it. Another area where uh, there's been a lot of hard time with reconciliation is with my mom. You know, we were incredibly close for a long time. And a lot of the, a lot of the political differences that are being pushed on us have separated my mom and myself. Um, and it's been really hard for us to have respectful conversation when it comes to some of the things that we don't see eye to eye on politically. And I'd like to think that I'm a curious person. I'd like to think I'm a listener. Um, maybe I haven't been enough with her. Maybe I haven't listened enough. I think she hasn't listened enough to me. Um, but that's a place where we need to just come together more. So that's an area where I need to be more present and more intentional about reconciling. Now, to Sunday's Mother's Day, I'm going to call my mom. We sent her some gifts. We sent her some cards. And we're going to continue to have a loving relationship. But that doesn't mean there's, there aren't areas where we need to work on, um, because there are. So I want to challenge you guys just to think about areas where you need to reconcile uh, in your life, whether it's with a person, maybe it's with a memory or an experience. Because again, that, that ability to reconcile is something that's part of our baptism. It's something that makes us unique as Christian men. We need to take authority over that. And then I just quickly want to touch on um, some cultural things. So... I think that the most important thing that we need to be able to embrace and experience is, is the ability for us to publicly share how we feel. Um, I think it's very easy for us to feel like we're not able to transparently and openly share and be explicit about what we believe, whether it's our faith. Maybe it's something that we see in the culture it's really important that we find communities, not just like this, that are more internal and internal facing. We need to find public facing opportunities to share as men how we feel and what we believe about certain things. And I wanna challenge you, all of us to think about that. Um, over Easter time, 
my wife and I were able to do some traveling. We were in Malta and we were in Athens in Greece. And um, I was struck by my, my wife was very curious about how I felt about these two ancient places. And I was struck by Malta and Athens are really two great Christian cities. Um, and well, Malta is a country, I'm sorry. Two, they're two great Christian cultures. And what I want to be, I want to encourage you guys with is that the Christian movement for the last 2000 years is the most powerful cultural movement in history. You know, yes, we want to think about it as a religious movement. We definitely, obviously, it's a faith movement, um, but it's also a cultural one. And these two places reminded me of that. Um, Athens was the center of pagan worship for hundreds of years before the Apostle Paul went there. And he transformed that entire region by what he preached and what he brought to those places. Um, the book of Acts is a great book to read after Easter because you can see these men with the power of the Holy Spirit go out and confront the religious leaders at the time, both the Jewish leaders and also the pagan leaders. And I think we as men have to find those places where we can confront the culture um, because our Christian heritage is 2,000 years old and tens of billions of people strong. Throughout the last two millennia, billions and billions of people have been Christian and have tried to lead that life of faith. So I want to encourage you men to do that and to stand up on that, that heritage and that tradition. Um, and I just want to leave you with some practical takeaways. Um, just the last slide there. So one of the things that's really important is daily time of prayer. Now, for me, again, this is, you're going to find this in your own way. For me, every day I try to get to mass. 30 minutes of prayer at, at church. Now, that's not going to be the same for you. But every day we have to spend intentional time in prayer. And the reason why that's important is because prayer, in my view, equals desire. You know, we think of prayer as relationship. We think of prayer as communion with the Lord. And it is that for sure. But prayer is also an expression of desire. It's an expression of what we want. And when we're in prayer, the Lord can really give us a sense of what those true desires are. So having that time of 30 minutes or an hour of prayer every day is really key for us to find out where the Lord wants us to go. And so however you express that time, whether it's through a devotional or whether it's through silent prayer, whether it's going having some time at a church, whatever it is, we need to make that dedicated time to offer that time of prayer. Uh, something that's not on there that I think is really important is fasting. I think we all need to pick one day a week when we abstain from some kind of food or some kind of thing that we enjoy. Maybe it's a television show. Maybe it's something we eat. But even physical fasting is really important. It gives us power. It gives us strength for those moments when we don't voluntarily choose to have to give something up. Because we're all going to have to voluntar involuntarily do something we don't like. And voluntary sacrifice helps us get ready for that moment, that time when we need it. Um, something that is really key when it comes to reconciliation, I believe, is curiosity. One of the things that everybody in this room wants to have more time of is sharing what we feel or sharing what we think. The people that we need to reconcile with have that same desire. And if we go to them and we ask them about their life, if we ask them for advice, like I did with my twin brother, 
if we ask them questions about where they are, they're going to be interested in us reciprocally, hopefully. And that's our chance to build reconciliation. That's our chance to reconcile with those people. So find ways to be curious about the people in your life that you want to get to know. I think that's really important. And that's what we do at City Relief. I mean, that's a big part of our mission. Every day when we're serving a lunch, we get to sit down and we get to find out what's happening with our friends on the street. So this is something that we do at City Relief every day. Um, being curious about the people around us is really important. And the last thing I want to say here is low stakes practice equals high stakes results. What does that mean? That means if you're having a tough time getting to know somebody that you really care about, start to get to know a stranger. Start to get to know the barista at the coffee shop. Start to get to know the secretary or the admin at your office. Having that practice of low stakes engagement with someone that is a stranger or someone that you maybe not ready to build a relationship with is going to help you be more intentional when it comes to someone you do care about. Right. So low stakes practice, high stakes results. Try to find ways to practice that muscle of getting to know people. It's really important. Um, I think that we have a power to transform the communities that we're in. And the more we're curious about those people in our communities, the more we can change and have impact. And so I just welcome you to think about that. Um, and then the last thing up here that I think is really important is make three calls every day. Um, one of the things that I've started to do the last couple of months is every day on my birthday. So I was born on June 25th. So every 25th day of the month, I try to make a lot of, I try to make several calls. I try to call my mom, dad, my twin brother. And then I try to call some relatives that I haven't spoken to in a long time. Um, one person that I'm particularly dialed into right now is my dad's brother, my uncle Ken. Um, my uncle Ken for one reason or another, has been estranged from our family. Um, he's someone that shares my political perspectives, um, but really doesn't have the, I would say, the attuneness to know how to dial that back sometimes. And so he's become estranged from family and friends. And frankly, I think I'm probably the only person that calls him on a regular basis. Um, but that's an important relationship that I want to be in outreach to. Um, even though I don't expect, I don't expect anything in return. I, he never calls me most of the time. I mean, sometimes he does, but I don't mind that. What I mind is that I'm trying to be in his life and that's really important to me. So every day, try to make three calls to people that you either know, don't know, or want to get to know more. Um, and I really encourage that for all of you. Um, so th that's kind of where I wanted to go today. Again, personal story this idea and concept of reconciliation, and then finding ways for you to be leaders as men in your society, wherever your sphere of influence is, try to be a leader in that space. Um, I've, I've left some questions. Um, uh, this is my contact information. I'd love to talk more with you. Um, if you ever wanna learn more about City Relief, it's cityrelief.org. Um, I left some informational cards in the front. Uh, my email, both personal and professional, is up there. Um, again, I live on the Upper West Side. Um, my wife and I, have, uh, we live on 82nd Street. If you're ever in New York, I'd love to get coffee or a drink with you. Um, you know, getting to know Mark at the beginning of my time with City Relief has been a gift. And 
I just love those relationships in the organization and I want to build those more um, and would love to do that with you if you'd like. But uh, that's kind of, that's where you can get in touch with me or reach me. Um, and I think we're going to open it up to some questions. Um, so just a few things to talk about. Number one, identify one relationship and one experience that has to be reconciled in your life. What is broken and what are some ideas about how you can bring about reconciliation? So again, one person and one experience from your past that needs to be reconciled in some form or another and how to go about doing that. Uh, number two, um, one of the things I didn't get into but uh, just is very important is um, I, there are two kinds of martyrdom. There's white martyrdom and red martyrdom. Hopefully none of you will be red martyred, which means you lose your life for the faith. But all of us in some form or another should be experiencing white martyrdom, which is where you suffer some kind of cultural, professional, or even financial suffering because of your faith. And the reason why I say I hope you suffer that is because that means you're pushing the envelope. That means you're out public facing with your faith. And so I really encourage you to think about what's been an example of your life of white or red martyrdom. Maybe you know someone who's lost their life for the faith. How has this suffering impacted your relationship with your loved ones? And how did this suffering impact your public transparency? In other words, in that moment where you suffered or went through something because of what you said, and maybe it wasn't even about your faith. Maybe it was just about how you feel about freedom, or maybe it was about how you feel about education or healthcare or whatever. How did that moment of suffering or challenge impact your life? And then the last question, just very simple, take a, just take an assessment of where you are in your daily prayer life. Are we spending 30 minutes in prayer every day? Are we listening to the Lord and what His desires are for us? Um, and how can we increase that time if we don't have it? Or how can we make it more effective? Maybe you're carving out 30 minutes of daily prayer, but you're not getting the most out of it. What are some things that you can do for that? Um, so that's, that's kind of some of the questions I had for you guys. Um, and I would love, to, I plan to stay after, after we finish, and would love to talk more one-on-one -on -one if anyone wants, but um, it's just been a gift to be with you, and uh, just an honor to be with you, Matt, and your team, and uh, grateful for it. Thank you.